0: Welcome to On the Wing Podcast with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever coming at you from well I am not in the pheasant range I am not in the quail range I am in the roughed grouse range of northern Minnesota recording live on the shores of Gichigumi Lake Superior Uh, we are in Duluth Minnesota at Clyde Ironworks and I've got with me three very good friends from three terrific partner organizations Nick Larson from Project Upland host of Project Upland podcast say that 6 times fast
1: Yeah yep got to be careful that's a lot of peas <laughs> uh,
0: Jason Mika from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers representing Michigan Wisconsin and the state of Minnesota
2: and Ohio, Indiana, oh, oh, I, and Illinois. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I cut,
0: I sliced you in half, man.
2: Oh, it's fine. Dude's got a huge a territory. big area, <laughs> big area.
0: And are we also making his inaugural podcasting debut from the Rough Grouse Society, John Staggerwald. Thanks for joining us, John. No, no
3: problem. So good to be here.
0: We are we are going to talk. Since we're in the Northwoods, we are going to go a little bit off the script from the usual Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever discussion. Uh, We're going to talk Northwoods, Great Lakes, rough grouse prospects for the 2019 season because we're almost there, guys. Yeah, we are. are. We're almost there. And uh, the seasons start up. Uh, On September 14th in Wisconsin, September 14th in Minnesota, and September 15th. 15th, always the 15th. Every single year, deer Mm -hmm. season's the 15th of November, grouse season's the 15th of September, fishing's the 15th of May, I believe. Yep. You can dial your calendar in no matter what day of the week it is in Michigan. Exactly. Um, So we're going to talk about the Great Lakes State's prospects for grouse hunting, Uh, What some folks might be looking forward to uh, when they reach the woods this year and um, We'll also we got a we got a group of avid rough grouse woods hunters, and we're gonna talk about some tips and tricks and some stories Um, so without further ado I I introduced our folks our, our participants, but dive a little deeper and uh, who's joining us for this podcast, a voice that undoubtedly Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever members have heard. Uh, he, he's, he's made a big splash in a short period oh, of boy. time. Uh, <laughs> as the voice of Project Upland, Nick Larson, Duluth native Never shot a pheasant before. I, I, I've been told.
1: Yep, you're correct. Yep, <laughs> yep. It's but
0: you shot some rough grouse.
1: I've shot a few rough and he, grouse. And you're
0: wearing a quail on your t-shirt.
1: <laughs> wearing a quail. Well, you know, I figured you were coming to town, Bob. I, I would rep the, the rep, Bob White. Wrap the Bob White a little bit. Custom artwork by Jay Dowd, Michigander. Gotta like that. Yeah, no, this is uh, this is exciting. I'm I'm happy to obviously join you on uh, on the Wing podcast. And I think I told you this when. When I interviewed you on the Project Upland podcast, listening to you and the Captain Billy Hildebrand on the local Twin Cities radio station, Fan Outdoors, you guys were one of my early inspirations in, like, wow, like, these guys are doing an outdoor radio show, like, how cool would it be to just have, and and I was into podcasts at the time, it was kind of early for podcasting, but, like, Man, what if what if I did an upland hunting podcast? You know, so that was kind of got my wheels turning a little bit, and I always always enjoyed that. So it's uh, it's fun to join you on your podcast. I, if people do know me, it's probably from the Project Upland podcast. I I, I host that. Um, I do a lot of work with Project Upland and Northwoods Collective, which is our our marketing agency, and uh, we do a lot of fun stuff. And we're we're actually really excited to be here in Duluth tonight with a bunch of cool partner organizations. You you listed off many of them, and we're doing a little pint night basically because the excitement that we can hear in your voice and my voice, Bob, we're all excited for the season. We wanted to bring a bunch of upland hunters together and have a good time and kind of kick the season off and get things started. So
0: yeah, if we had more microphones, we'd have a couple more partners. Because Minnesota <laughs> Sharp Grouse Society yep. is up here. Yep. Um, Bailey, right? Bailey's yep. Gonna be Bailey. Yep. Bailey Peterson will be here tonight. Yep. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful. Event. It does make me feel a little bit old as you talk about listening to me uh, <laughs> on Fan Outdoors. Kind of like I'm not that old. yet. Come on, buddy. But it is super flattering. What, what's the um, It's uh, fan outdoors is in the um, Duluth area in like 92, Uh, 92 92 Yeah, 92, one. one, Yep. Yep. Yeah. And
1: that hasn't always been the case. So I, I I grew up in, in Duluth, as you mentioned. And then right after I graduated college, I moved to Minneapolis to work, get a job out of college. And I was working downtown Minneapolis and I, I don't know. I honestly don't know why I started listening to K fan, but I was, I am a sports fan. So that's probably what drew me in. And then I would listen to K fan a lot, like all day at work. And, Somewhere, some way, I figured out that there was an outdoor show, so I started listening to that. You know, but I've been I've been listening to a long time, and and between when I started listening and now, we have KFan in Duluth, so now I can tune in on the local dial, which is good.
0: Yeah, it's it's super fun. As most (laughs) folks know, I don't get paid to do KFan. I do that purely because I'm great buddies with Billy Hildebrand, and it's an awesome platform for us to talk about the uplands, habitat, conservation, public lands. And um, when Pheasant Fest comes to town, it's a great way to promote that. And uh, yeah. I've just made so many great connections and friendships through that that program. And if folks want to listen to Fan Outdoors, you can find it on KFAN.com all across the country, obviously. But um, there's Fan Radio Network includes all of Minnesota, northern Iowa, western Wisconsin, the Dakotas. Gets the Dakotas, yeah. Yeah, you can pick it up in aberdeen in bismarck and bismarck and it is a great uh great radio show the captain's been on i think he's the longest running outdoors radio show in the midwest he's been on 28 yeah. years and it's a credit to chad abbott the program director who's that kind of the, the brains behind that station yep. in figuring out how to get the vikings radio network and the wild and the gophers and then keeping you know a hunting and fishing show right on both thursday nights and saturday mornings so, well thank you for mentioning not to go on a yeah. cave fan commercial yeah <laughs> the, the the other piece you, you um you did work for the rough grouse society yes. too so you yep. you you intimately know the conservation world yeah. um you worked there i want to say like four years like uh it record.
1: was about actually two years was my tenure there it was kind of 2015 to 2017 okay. and that's where that's where i really like like you said I kind of that's where I got into the whole conservation side of things I've I've been interested in upland hunting for a long time I've been hunting since I was a kid my family kind of got me started in it but when I moved back here from the twin cities that's when I I started volunteering for the local Rough Growl Society chapter and very quickly moved into a position with them and then you know once you get into the conservation world and you know this very well Bob like that that's when things kind of open up and it's a small world so you meet people and I met you and we were at Pheasant Fest and that's where I, I started making a ton of connections, and lo and behold, that's where I met AJ Derosa, and ended up doing this stuff for so Project Upland. you met Upland. AJ
0: at, you? at Pheasant Fest? Not
1: at Pheasant Fest. While I was working for Rough Grouse, oh Society. I gotcha. okay. yep, yeah. okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. and met him, and now you know here I am working for Northwoods Collective and hosting the Project Upland podcast. So it's you know right. dipping my toe in that world kind of has led to a lot of cool things.
0: Well, and, and as you know, you will be representing Minnesota in our rough grouse hunting yes. conversation. Yes, yeah, <laughs> do, I'll do that. <laughs> representing um, the state next door in, in Wisconsin is, uh, is John Staggerwell from the Rough Grouse Society. Tell us a little bit about your background, John.
3: Well, so I've been, uh, I've been working for the Rough Grouse Society now for about a year. And actually, my, my territory is, is mainly Wisconsin, but I do cover Minnesota, iowa and illinois as well okay not very many rough grouse in illinois and very few in, in iowa but huntable population down there but i do have a, a rather large region um my story is actually almost the complete opposite of nick's <laughs> so I, I grew up in conservation I, i'm a third generation forester i went to school i uh, have a bachelor's degree in forest management a master's degree in ecology so i've worked very heavily in in conservation work it 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 wasn't until I started working for the Rough Grouse Society that I sort of backtracked hmm. and now I have to sort of relearn the hunting aspect of, of conservation. Mm-hmm. I, I grew up in on a, on a tree farm, grew up hunting rough grouse, but I took about a 10-year hiatus from actually upland hunting. So um, we would call you reactivated.
0: Reactivated. Reactivate. That's you I go. like that term. <laughs> That's a good term.
3: <laughs> um, so I, you know, my, my story is like a lot of young people um, leaving home, going to college, focusing on your career, that upland hunting that I did when I was younger, that fishing, all the, those type of outdoor recreation activities took a back burner to my conservation work that I, was, I wanted to pursue for my career. So actually the one thing I enjoy most about the rough grouse's side is that I, I get the opportunity to dabble back in that and, mm-hmm. and relearn some of those skills and, and tricks and trades of that. Um, enjoy, it, enjoy it very well.
0: Great. And you've been on relatively short time, right?
3: I've been with the Rough Grouse Society for about a year, but okay. I've, I've been working in conservation uh, for about 15 years right. since I was in, in high school.
0: And um, uh, where would you grow up again?
3: Uh, Northern Wisconsin, Tomahawk.
0: Okay. There's no grouse there either. Uh, n- not one. Not a <laughs> not, <laughs> not single one um, Pass right on through there. Yeah. <laughs> well, and speaking of a place that there's no grouse, you don't need to head to the UP at all. No. Nope. Uh, <clears throat> my home state representing my home state of uh michigan jason Mika from the backcountry hunters and anglers also in town tonight for that the pint night welcome to minnesota jason
2: thank you love coming out out here uh Duluth's an awesome town um yeah so i'm the uh, great lakes chapter coordinator for backcountry hunters and anglers i cover everything from ohio to minnesota if it touches the great lakes one of the great lakes so that's about what i cover um super excited about this event nick and i had been talking off and on for quite a while about getting a pint night up here finally and uh finally made it happen super excited to have a bunch of different organizations here i like it's one of my favorite things to do is get uh, a bunch of different orgs together get their members in front of other organizations you know i don't know hardly anybody that's only a member of one right so the more you get people in front and the more uh We can start, you know, compiling all our uh, power together and start making stuff happen.
0: Yeah, I think you're right on. Like, there is a perception that we're always competing against. Even, Mm. like, Project Upland and Pheasants Forever. Sure. You know, a completely different type of organization. There's a perception that there's competition there. And on some level, you know, we might be competing for sponsor dollars to promote this video or that video. But generally speaking, we all have... The exact same cause, yep. or maybe not the exact same, but very parallel, causes. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, we, we collaborate an uh, awful lot, yeah, whether exactly. It's right. On the ground Huge projects amount. or promotions, yeah, yeah,
2: promotions, R3 stuff, you know, throughout multiple different states. We do stuff with PF. You know, I a couple months ago had a pint night in uh, Michigan with RGS, yeah, you know, and your counterpart Heather out yep. in Michigan, so
0: and everybody around the table has had booths. At Pheasant Fest. Yeah, exactly. Project Upland. Exactly. RGS, BHA were very, and I went to the rendezvous last year and hung out with all my friends at BHA. You know, you guys have become a great voice for protecting public lands, and we like to think of ourselves as public lands creators. Exactly. And if we create those public lands, we sure as hell don't want to lose them. (coughs) Exactly.
2: So we we have creators here, we have Habitat folks with RGS, and then we're sort of the educational like uh sort of helping to make sure we keep our public lands in public hands okay. so it's sort of we all are fighting for pretty much the same thing yep.
0: uh, and the other thread uh, which is the reason for us you know talking today is we're all avid rough grouse hunters yeah. too mm-hmm. so so as we transition from the introductions to the to the meat of the <laughs> podcast the you know the, the very first question is did you call them partridge did you call them (laughs) (laughs) did you call them grouse as you were growing up because my grandpa called them pats yeah i grew
2: up in the northern lower they were pats (laughs) yeah you're
0: gonna go pat hunting
2: (laughs) yeah exactly gonna go chasing partridge
0: uh, that was my question because you grew up in the in lower michigan Yep. so and and in the up they were partridge right definitely partridge so looking at the minnesota and wisconsin guys yep. was that unique to michigan or did you call them partridge as well
1: i definitely grew up in what i i would call it partridge country i mean I, that term that term was basically a, you know it's a synonym for rough grouse mm-hmm. in this in this part of the world and so i heard that term a lot i actually never i never really bought into that term as much i never called it partridge even though i was I'm going to do air quotes here. I was kind of a partridge hunter for a while. I'm like, we can get into that. We can, we can, we can talk about what that means. I was dogless for a, for a lot of years, but I always, I always, I always called them the rough grouse for, for growing up, you know, Uh and I was, that's what, that's what hooked me in. And I've talked about this before, but I, I became fascinated with the rough grouse, the bird. That's what drew me in. And i I don't I don't really know why, but that's been that's been a constant thread through everything I've done basically my whole life. You know, since I got started. Mm-hmm. So, Partridge country, but I always called them rough grouse.
0: What what was it that fascinated you about <coughs> rough grouse slash partridge slash pats? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly,
1: I I can I I have a pretty vivid memory of the very first day I went grouse hunting, and that was with my dad and my uncle and my cousin, and we went. I know exactly where we went. We drove up the north shore of Lake Superior. Mm-hmm. We cut north at some point, and we went to a very specific forest road that I still know where it's at. I haven't, I don't go back there much, um, although I probably should. Um, we went to this forest road, and I remember driving down this road. We were driving to our first spot. We were going to go walk a trail, right? We are driving to our first spot, and I remember there was a grouse standing in the middle of the road, and my dad said, there's a grouse that's what we're looking for and i looked and there was these towering red and white pines and there's a rough grouse standing in the middle of a of a gravel road which is a very common sight mm-hmm. in in this part of the world yeah. you see that often and i i don't know i stared i was in the backseat with my cousin and i stared up be, past my dad and my uncle and i saw that bird and something right then and there i was interested in it. it probably helped that later we went and we started walking our first row and i can remember the first grouse that flushed we were all walking down you know my cousin and i are behind my dad and my uncle and this grouse gets up. It was kind of an open area. There was a, a short little uh, balsam tree and a and a grouse, as they are, want to do blasts off out of this, from under this tree, and that's that thundering flush, and he flies straight away right down the trail, and banks left. Nobody fired a shot, and I remember, I remember yelling at my dad, why didn't you shoot? <laughs> and, you know, my dad was probably just startled. He's like you know didn't even think to shoot because it's that's what they do you know they get up and out of there pretty fast and so I think it was a combination of seeing the bird getting a good look at one and then seeing it flush and making all that connection on that same day I mean I don't know that's just it stuck with me
0: how how many times has somebody said why didn't you shoot exactly (laughs) I I could think about the most recent time my wife's uncle has gotten back into hunting and it started with with pheasants but you know gradually taking them different things quail hunting in nebraska and we took him grouse hunting in uh, northern wisconsin last year and um, we had a flush and you know bird goes by and you know he he barely even rose raised his gun didn't shoot like uh what are you waiting for he's like well it wasn't open (laughs) Look <laughs> yep. yep. uh, that's as open as it's gonna get right start firing away buddy <laughs> yeah exactly yeah uh, all right uh, to the wisconsin guy so
3: partridge or grouse uh, so growing up in the um the thick brush of the north woods of wisconsin being that my closest neighbor was about a mile away through, through the woods i've heard him called anything and everything um probably the more common term i heard growing up Referring to rough grouse was ruffled grouse. Ooh. so Ooh. a nice, <laughs> a little bit of a <laughs> grouse. I thought that was a joke. Yeah. There, there was a parody that
0: RGS put out maybe five years ago about the so. ruffled grouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt so Sober deserves credit for that. Yeah, one. it's and a nice. little, little
3: bit of a local colloquism maybe for <laughs> Northern Wisconsin. Oh. But, uh, um, I yeah, heard him called, heard him called partridge, heard him called ruffled grouse, rough grouse. Um, it, it, you know, whatever you want to call it. A good time. That, that's that's <laughs> the way I. I think, that. I think I saw that on the bathroom <laughs> stall. <in> the <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: <Yeah>. Uh, <laughs> There's a new slogan for RGS. Yeah, there for, we go. For a good time. Yeah. <laughs> D- definitely. For rough definitely. And and I think what what
3: got me what got me hooked uh, was was just uh, again me me growing up in in northern Wisconsin, um, growing up in in Aspen stands hearing the rough grouse drumming in the springtime and even throughout the year just hearing that that drum being curious about well what is this what is this bird that I'm hearing mm-hmm. um, and of course walking through the woods being startled as a as a young kid by this grouse just taking off with a burst of energy and becoming curious about about yeah. this bird and, and its ecology and what i'm I'm doing um, working on the land to actually influence this bird yeah. it, it got me got me kind of hooked at, at a young age um, my story, uh, first time out rough grouse hunting, uh, went out grouse hunting with a uh, uh, a good friend of mine, an old, older older gentleman, um, but he was an avid rough grouse hunter. I, I got lucky. A guy who um, is an avid outdoorsman who would give you his shotgun just to make sure that you you could carry on that that hunting tradition. Um, went out with his his yellow lab, showed me the, the tricks and the trade. Um, his his little. Uh, ideas or ways of looking for the proper habitat because that again when it comes down to rough grouse it's all about the habitat Mm -hmm. looking for that proper forest structure to go into Um, but having that that mentor for me was invaluable Um, and again having that later on in life again invaluable to get me back into rough grouse hunting
0: yeah yeah so I have similar connections with rough grouse growing up in the UP I loved you know as a high school kid I lived in uh, Place out of town. I'd get home from school, and I was still at a place where I could grab the shotgun, Ithaca pump, and walk out the back door. And it was thousands of acres, and I honestly don't know if it was public land or private (laughs) land. And it wasn't my land, but I I just kept hunting. Yep. Right. And you know, (laughs) I was whatever fifteen years old, and even in those days, so it was the early 90s late 80s early 90s you know nobody if i'm walking across somebody's property grouse hunting no big deal yeah nobody even knew anyway yeah but, right but yeah. it was but it, that's that was my childhood walking through a forest of fruity pebbles right yeah. in mid-october mm-hmm. early october and it's just every color in that bowl of fruity yep. pebbles and then as i grew older You know, big decisions in my life, and I've written about this in uh, Pheasants Forever Super Issue last year, big decisions in my life, I would go grouse hunting, and sometimes they were with my dad, sometimes with my mom, who also grouse hunts, um, and talking about job opportunity, one of those decisions was a job opportunity between Pheasants Forever and the Detroit Tigers, and I can remember grouse hunting with my dad, and talking at the end of a tailgate. And making the decision that the right move was to go work for Pheasants Forever, and you know, thinking about okay, asking asking my wife to marry me was atop a lighthouse overlooking Lake Michigan. It just so happens that there's a really good place to grouse hunt right next to it. That's <laughs> super special to me as well. Yeah. But so it, it, like you said, John, there's some some really emotional connections to the history oh definitely the bird
3: definitely and actually I, I was mentioning mentioning that mentor of mine actually late, later on in life uh he he mentored my wife as well hmm. in in rough grouse uh or introduced her to rough grouse uh he, w- he was uh, an ecologist and um, he he ran one of the local conservation schools and my my wife uh i met her in college she actually had found an injured rough grouse with a broken wing during rough grouse season. Ooh. And he presented this bird to, to this, this gentleman and, and asked, you know, what should I do? How can I help this bird to, to rejuvenate it or, you know, mm-hmm. help it out? How can I help out this, this injured rough grouse? And he said, well, you're probably going to have to dispatch it. And I, I was I was standing here with my friend at that time, and without hesitation, my wife, Dispatch that grouse, hmm. and I knew right then <laughs> that was the one. That's an interesting.
0: That's very. Rough. Did you tell that at your wedding? I
3: I, I told my wife I was going to tell that story in this podcast at some point. In time. She, she wasn't thrilled. worked it in early. She <laughs> wasn't thrilled. Yeah, worked it in early. Checked the good box. box. Good. Good thing she's <laughs> still at the bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: John just looked over his shoulder. <laughs> <so> everybody knows.
0: <laughs> uh, all right, so so one of the things we wanted to talk about is prospects. You know, as, as we sit here on this pint night um you know we're less than two weeks away uh this will this will probably drop one week out from the rough grouse opener um, happening in minnesota wisconsin michigan so the, the state's drumming counts are out and for folks in the pheasant or quail range they're probably confused by the term drumming <laughs> count no. and they should be because it's um it's incredibly different compared to to uh what we, how we count pheasants on mm-hmm. roadsides or whistle yeah. counts with quail. So um, I'll throw this to either Nick or John. Who wants to explain drumming counts for
3: Definitely, I, John. I, I guess I can take that question. So the drumming counts have been going on for, for decades uh, in the lake states. Michigan no longer does theirs. They haven't done it for about a decade. But w- what essentially happens is in the springtime, uh, DNR personnel or volunteers in either state, they, they run specific routes, they're called. And essentially, they, they hop in a pickup truck, they drive um, these predetermined routes, and they're same, usually the same routes year after year after year. And they drive these routes, and they make certain stops along that, that drive. And they stop, and they listen. And what they're listening for is the drum of the grouse in the springtime. Of course, their, their territorial display, their mating display, that, that dr- iconic drum that everybody's yeah. familiar with, with rough
2: grouse. And
0: this grouse. is males
2: only.
3: Males only, yeah. I always...
2: I always tell everybody it sounds like somebody's starting a John Deere. It, it
3: in does. the does.
1: Yep. <laughs> it does. <laughs> yes, it does.
3: And, and so uh, these professionals and volunteers are looking for these drumming counts. And uh, it's important to note that they do the same routes every single year. I, I get asked this question a lot. Uh, it's a main, main point of confusion for a lot of people, even avid rough grouse hunters, about why do they keep running the same routes every single year. The habitat is obviously a uh, forested habitat. It grows. It changes through the years. Why aren't we changing the routes to capture where the birds are? Mm-hmm. Well, that's part of the important part of the con- conservation aspect. If we want to capture the changes in habitat, if the habitat's changing, we're going to be hearing fewer birds. If we're, the habitat's getting better, we might be hearing more birds. Right. So they run these, these same routes every single year, listening for drums. And then what they do is they divide it by either county or you can look at it regionally and determine, well, is the population going up or down? It's not really an estimate of the population, but it's an index. You're trying to index that movement. Does the population increase or decreasing or staying the same? And, of course, these drumming counts are how we largely learned about the cyclical cycle of the rough grouse population. About every decade, the population um, either peaks or or valleys within the rough grouse, uh, within the Lake States region.
0: You made some really good points, important points to just add a little bit more clarity to. Because they, they don't do a great job of indicating the size of the population. It's just a trend on up and down. Yeah. And part of the reason is because it's just males, right? Correct. And it's done in the springtime. So it's really just assessing adult carryover, comparing year-to-year adult carryover. Because it, it cannot capture like how successful nesting season was exactly you know, brood so exactly. It, it's just a sort of a mile marker on how things are going
3: you know that, that's one thing i've been telling a lot of folks this year is that the, the drumming counts looked good in the spring we had in wisconsin we had had an increase uh, minnesota it seemed at least stable but we have a long ways to go from the time those drumming counts are taken to the time the season opens so it we don't really like to look at it as a way to project the season or how good the season is going to be because a lot can happen in that time period. Right. You know, we could, we could have a really good brood-rearing season. We can have a, a ton of young juvenile birds that we didn't anticipate with that drumming count. Right. We could have the complete inverse of that. We could have some pretty terrible weather events. We could. At, right now we're not really fully sure of the effects of West Nile virus, so that could be something that really impacts that population during the summer and the spring that could really decrease that population. So we don't like to look at a way to um, predict how well the hunting is going to be. But it's a good bit of information to have to index that population to know how good of a job managers are doing with, with managing habitat and to know maybe where we're coming and where, where we might be going. Um, also seeing where we might be within that uh, cyclical cycle.
0: Yeah, <coughs> That's a really good explanation, and it just it's important to kind of compare that to roadside counts that exist predominantly in the pheasant world you know that's august roadside counts similar methodology rural mail carrier routes and that are done year after year after year and pick a dewy day where the birds are going to come out onto the road and grit and that does have a better chance of capturing reproduction because they're done in august with Nesting season haven't happened already, and in, in you know May in the brooding in June and July, and then by August, you get a better sense of how many adults are on the landscape, but also a, a kind of a mile marker for how many um, juveniles or broods are on the landscape too. So slightly different trying to assess trends, but uh, just wanted to clarify drumming versus uh, versus roadside counts. Yeah, as we go to forecasting. I'm sure you know. You, you talked, to Nick. Uh, you talked about um, driving down that gravel road and seeing the first grouse that sticks in your mind. You're the closest one to the Northwoods here on a daily basis. Uh, so taking in the Minnesota DNR's drumming counts. And the Nick Larson Project Upland drumming count slash drive <laughs> drivebys, yeah. uh, what do you forecast for for the Minnesota uh, rough grouse season ahead?
1: Yeah, well, I'm I am unfortunately not going to have a ton to share as far as He's far a as typical grouse hunter. Yep. <laughs> yep. I'm not going to yep. share anything. Yep, yep, exactly. Zero. No, zero I, grouse. <laughs> <laughs> I, I we've had some interesting things, and I I want to I want to highlight. I think John explained the drumming drumming surveys really. very well and he brought up some some interesting points that are oftentimes missed and a lot of times just nature of the way that is it's a it's a headline thing right mm-hmm. the the percentage increase or decrease in drumming counts is a headline thing and people see that headline and they grab it and they run with it and there's nothing you can do right. but as much as we can educate folks and and listen to john explain what a drumming survey tells us and what it doesn't tell us i mean that's that's really important to keep that in mind because managing expectations is is really important as far as what you're you know your how satisfied you're going to be with the season right and so i think 2017 was an interesting year and i'd be curious if you would agree but 2017 was was one of those times where john talked about where drumming counts were i call them through the roof i mean minnesota they were what up 58 percent wisconsin was pretty much in lockstep and in 2017 is a lot of folks went out hunting and that was i felt like a lot of people said they had a really bad year and my numbers were down my numbers did not because i keep i do keep track of my flush counts And I've, over the years, I've developed a pretty good system to try to kind of maintain as much consistency as I can. Uh, I do hunt different areas and I've hunted with different people and different dogs. So there's, there's a lot of variables in there, but 2017, I did not see my flush counts increase from 2016. They actually went down, which is, would be surprising if you have, if you had looked at that 58% increase Mm -hmm. in drumming counts and said, Hey, I'm going to have a 60% better season. Right. So that's, that's just not the way that it works this year. I feel like I've heard a lot of positive anecdotal stuff. I've been hearing people say they're seeing broods and seeing bigger broods. That was kind of like more July timeframe. I haven't heard so much in the last couple of weeks. And personally, I have been... Every chance I get to go and run the dog, I have been focusing on sharp-tailed grouse, which is a grouse <laughs> that not many people think about in this area, but mm. there are places where you can get a bird dog on sharp-tailed grouse, and that's what I've been doing because I've got a western prairie trip coming up, so it's a nice way to kind of train the dog. And also, it's a lot more enjoyable to go run that kind of cover than to beat the brush <laughs> this time of year. <laughs> get bit by mosquitoes yep. in the woods. Yep, and, and you know, It again, for me, it all comes down to, I'm going to hunt rough grouse and woodcock in the Northwoods as much as humanly possible, as much as I possibly can. So it only does me so much good to try to predict and forecast the season. I'm hopeful. I'm a very optimistic person. I'm always, and, and even the last couple of years where we felt like the birds haven't quite been where maybe we wanted them to be, still get out and find them. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm flushing birds. It's not... I I don't know that I had any hunts last year where I didn't flush a grouse. I mean, you're always you got to you got to make room for disappointment some days because mm-hmm. you're going to have you're going to have good and bad days, but I'm I'm pretty optimistic that in this area, very important not to take this for granted. I I've I've gotten a lot better about it, but boy, we have some really really good habitat across the Great Lakes, the whole region that we're talking about. We are so fortunate as rough grouse hunters to have the kind of habitat and the kind of public access that we do to hunt these birds and I think as long as we can maintain that and maintain the right habitat and folks like John can do their job and put good habitat on the ground I think we're going to be in pretty good shape but I'm 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 optimistic like like most folks are and I'm excited to get out there and find out for myself
0: Yeah you, you talked about a couple th- strings that I want to pull on one of them being that and, and this is probably a good question for jason because you guys deal with more than just bird hunters yeah but my perception is that us bird hunters grouse hunters pheasant hunters quail hunters we really fixate on these forecasts and numbers more than most hunters like for the hardest of the hardcore you know they're going no matter what especially yeah. if you own a dog like yeah. i don't i don't you know A forecast sort of tells me which direction I'm going to go, but I'm going no matter what. But there are some folks that, oh, geez, the numbers are down 20%. Yeah. I'm going to do something else.
2: You're right. Yep. Yeah, I would say that's definitely, I I think that you could definitely say that's the case. You know, you look at like deer hunters, it's almost always anecdotal what their buddy says they've been seeing or what they saw last year. They're, They're not paying attention to somebody said there's this many deer in the woods and, January you know like it's not really a thing whereas you get to like you know especially with grouse you, grouse you know it's how what was drumming counts right. this year mm-hmm. especially out here in Minnesota Wisconsin we don't do them in Michigan anymore um, do you know
0: why we don't do them in Michigan it's money but so that's partly <laughs> true there's yeah. another reason there's another there? reason and it's wild do yeah. you know it
1: I'm pretty sure I do I but th- you explain it because well,
0: it. it. so my understanding and this is I'm from Michigan, so yeah. I'm sorry about this. But <laughs> uh, Freedom of Information Act. Yes. yes. Right? Yep. So pe- there are people in Michigan oh, yeah. demand that have demanded the exact routes yeah. of the drumming counts where they're the highest so they can go and target the exact yeah. birds that were counted. Yep. Uh, Come uh, on, <laughs> people. seriously, yeah. Knock it, that shit off. It, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it's, it's actually
2: weird because that's like that's not just a grouse thing. Like it's happened in Canada with like uh, brook trout and stuff like that. You, you know, Blackwater. you know, for
3: me, that's, that's an ethical question. It, yeah. It's a lot like insider trading. Yeah. And I, I, remember, you know, one of the, one of the lessons that I had in my, my career is being, um, when I was going through my, my formal education for, for forestry was specifically being told in a fisheries class that we had where we would go out and we'd shock trout streams, um, to, to work with the trout, uh, get numbers, measure trout, measure the trout, um, look at the overall stream productivity. We were specifically told, "Look, this is insider trading information mm-hmm. for natural resources. Mm-hmm. You guys will fail this class, and you'll be kicked out of school if I catch you coming back here and fishing in these spots <laughs> with this information, <laughs> because it it, yeah. it brings up that that ethical question that is that is that fair catch? Is that fair?" their yeah. game yeah. To, to, to do that and, and quite yeah, frankly exactly. I, I don't believe so yeah. and wh- what's the fun in it anyways you know half the fun is watching the dog work it's busting the brush it's going out there and just having a good time uh, I, I know a lot of people are focused on birds and numbers but to me that, that's, you're losing on half the fun
2: yeah, yeah you're, you're missing out on the adventure of finding your own place right that's yeah. sort of like what, you know I like filling the freezer as much as the next guy, but especially when it's with, like, grouse and stuff like that, it's not—it's it, pretty darn hard to fill a freezer with grouse, right? Yep. You're out there for fun, right? Yeah. You haven't <laughs> hunted with Jared Wickley.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Jared. Oh, man.
1: I remember a couple of hunts with Jared back from our high school days. He's a hes a meat hunter. Well, that
0: that's something that <laughs> I didn't bring up, is that you did go to high school, Nick, with a bunch of Friends Forever guys. In Two them. of your guys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jared and
3: and
1: Brian, and Brian Essling. but yep. then
0: you also knew um, Andrew from Well I met too. I met
1: Andrew in college because he he met I'm pretty sure it was Brian Essling. Those oh, guys met okay. each other and so, you know, our path our paths crossed and we've kind of all become friends now. But yeah, it's just 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 a, just a, a small really small world. world. Yeah. But one one last thing on the on the Freedom of Information Act and people demanding that stuff. I mean, I think it's gotten better now with information, but like somebody that's trying to get those drumming surveys and stuff, like you would be much you your time would be better spent on the MI Hunt app, you know, yeah, the, exactly. the Michigan Hunt exactly. like where they're actually telling you where the cover is and Wisconsin has some really good resources. They have a they have a game bird layer that'll tell you where aspen is and tag alder and stuff. I mean, again, yeah. We're talking to the wrong people the people that are trying to get that information but for anybody listening you'd be much better served using some of the mapping resources that are coming along obviously Yeah exactly even
2: like he said the my my hunt app yep. in Michigan it tells you exactly what you look at that it'll tell you exactly what like stage stuff is in yep. what cover is there yep. you know is it aspen whatever it is you know so it's pretty like it's definitely a good way to do it you know and it's you know they might be hit a little harder than a lot of places but gems Areas in Michigan, really big grouse yep. management areas. So,
3: now I, I before we move on, I, I would like to to maybe plug the article that uh, Ted Dick and myself did yep. uh, with with you, Nick, on uh, the drumming counts a yep. blog post uh, that people could could learn more about kind of the purpose behind drumming counts if they're Where interested is it at? in um, it's on the rough grouse society website it's a, okay.
0: a
1: blog post that we did
3: rough
0: grouse org.
3: yep correct
1: yep rough dot go to the blog scroll down that feed uh, you can click on read and you'll find it it's um, basically it was it was the way that we framed that conversation what will a drumming survey tell us and what does it not tell us right and it was a lot of that stuff that John talked about so if people are interested and want a little more info they can go and read that and there's some quotes well, in
0: there, Ted's the perfect person to be part of that because he was the biologist that fielded all yep. the calls right yep. about the drumming counts being up what'd you say 58% 20, 58% in
1: 2017 Yep.
0: and then everybody goes in the fall like out in the fall and they're like where are all the birds Yep. and then everybody called Ted including all the media Yep. And Ted's like <laughs> Yeah. You know, it just drumming county doesn't <laughs> right? It doesn't yep. take into account nesting cover or yep. or nesting success and yeah. yeah, he had a tough year The year.
1: poor guy was darn near crucified, yeah. And and I will uh I Ted's a Ted's a friend of mine. He's he unfortunately can't be here tonight, but he is he is a hilarious guy. He's got a really good sense of humor. So I think he kind of took it in stride, but he pointed out something very interesting in the article and this is something that he said and it's a result of what happened in 2017, but there used to be I think the way that he put it, John, and I encourage you to correct me if I'm wrong here, but there used to be a very high correlation with the drumming survey numbers and what they would see in the fall. But that correlation has broken up over the last decade or so more. And so that's that's what has a lot of people scratching their heads and looking at other things because there could be new variables or other things other factors at play because that correlation seems to have loosened up
0: and that's where the West Nile hypothesis comes into play. Not,
3: not just West Nile virus. You know, there, there are a lot of other hypotheses. It it could be related to climate change. Some of the, the bigger weather events that we've seen in the Lake States region, the past few years that hit right during that broodering time, that, that critical time when the birds were, were, were just hatching, um, you know, on, on the, um, Climate change issue. It could be something that works in synchronicity with with West Nile virus. If you know the Lake States region is predicted to get wetter, not you yeah. know not necessarily warmer, but wetter, so and that could help. Pack. Well, more, it it yeah. could help bolster mosquito populations. Yeah. So those mosquitoes that are breeding yeah. West Nile virus, it could become a greater and greater issue. And also, any rough grouse hunter knows, at least in the Lake States, that. Winter ecology is vitally important for rough grouse. Mm-hmm. We've yeah. seen some major changes to snowpack in the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rough grouse they really like that about 11 inches of nice, fluffy snow to snow roost in. They they have. So
0: explain that just to circle back on that because we're talking to generally an audience of pheasant and quail hunters, and, oh, okay. and they hear yeah. snowpack. Ooh, bad. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, Uh, deep snow is bad for 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 our favorite. Well, what it does is it
3: keeps those pheasants down south. (laughs) Well, the (laughs) the prairie does that too, right? (laughs) But snowpack,
0: from a rough grouse perspective, snow depth is is very important.
3: It's important if if you think about you know what color a rough grouse is. It doesn't really camouflage very well into snow, Um, but they they like about like I said about 11 inches of nice fluffy snow where they'll actually dive into and create a, a burrow. And inside that burrow, they're, they're hidden or concealed from, from predators, avian predators, mammalian predators, um, but also they, have, um, they can better thermal regulate their body. So they're not used as much energy during, during the day as they would be exposed to the elements. Um, so that, that is vitally important for survivability. Um, they require less energy during the day um, to survive through that winter period. Um, and with the effects of climate change, you know we're not really sure what's going to happen with, with that snowpack. If if we do get wetter, milder winters, we may not have the snowpack that we've had Right. Um, historically. So
0: from a grouse perspective: more snow is good.
3: More snow is good.
0: Less snow and ice. Yeah. Ice, is ice is bad.
3: Yeah, because because they they need that fluffy snow where they can actually dive in and create that burr. They don't yep. they
2: don't want a hard surface there. Yep. Yeah, that's one thing I always say is like, yeah, you know, when I was a kid growing up in northern Michigan, like ice was like a rare occurrence, yeah. and now it's way more common, you know, is it yeah.
0: So have you guys ever been hunting and actually had a rough grouse flush out of the snow that you didn't, oh, mean, yeah. you know, absolutely, you have?
2: Oh yeah, I used to rabbit hunt, I had beagles when I was a kid, that happened all the time. No kidding. Yeah, like just running beagles, yeah. you're walking around looking for rabbits and having like Blow out of the snow right underneath. Oh no because
0: 'cause I've hunted my whole life. Yeah. I've ne- I've seen the after effects, right? The the roosts, yeah. the yep. you know, the the angel wings where they've left. Yeah. I've not yet had a dog go on point or a bird flush out of the snow. You're shaking your head, well, and you've seen it too.
1: I, I don't I don't have any I don't have a lot of vivid memories of actually kicking one out of a snow roost. I do have – there's a – I actually took a video of my dog on point in one of the local parks here in Duluth. He was on point, and a bird blew out of the snow, and there was a lot of fluffy snow, but I – at the time, I just thought this bird was under a deadfall and under some branches, and he very well could have been, but he could have been snow roosting. I don't know. So huh. it's, I kind of have a question mark on that. I've never, I've never been hunting and kicked one out. I know some folks that have. Um, i got a friend who, over in Wisconsin. He's a forester. He's kicked a lot of grouse out of, out of snow roost.
0: There's a, a guy in West, southern Wisconsin, Dave Carlson. He yeah. has an outdoor television mm-hmm. show. He's a chapter volunteer for Pheasants Forever. He, and I think it was Dave Roll was his video guy. They captured it. Okay. On a hunt for a TV show, if folks Google that. Yeah. it's wicked. Yeah. It is. So, I wait my whole life. Maybe this year. Yeah, year <laughs> I, I
3: I've never had it happen right in front of me, but I've had it happen uh, several several yards out in front of me. But huh. the, never never the point where where I was had the bejesus scared out
0: of me. Uh, moving to to Wisconsin, John. Uh, you know, you live in I believe Spooner now. You grew up in the Tomahawk area, yeah. uh, so you see a lot of country, and also with your job, traveling around the state of Wisconsin. I, I definitely do. Uh, give us uh, you know, a. And, and again, we've we've talked about what drumming counts are or aren't, but in Wisconsin, the drumming surveys showed a whopping forty-one percent increase year on year this spring. Do you think that's gonna hold into hunting season? What are you seeing? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> you good good biologist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I,
3: I would answer. say you know similar what Nick said said about anecdotal data mm-hmm. da- uh, data. Me being out in the field this spring, I did see a lot a uh, lot more broods this year than I, I saw in previous years. I, I think it's. The best I can say is I think it's promising. Yeah. I, I, th- I think, I think we're, we're in for a better season than perhaps we had the past two years, but we still, ha- we still have a few weeks to go to really find out for sure. Right. Uh, and then uh, we'll, s- we'll find out if I'm uh, inundated with phone calls or not.
0: What forest <laughs> did you say you were opening up your season? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, will, I will actually, it actually
3: will be in, in Lincoln County. Okay. It will be there f- their opening season. but uh, nice. you know So going home. I am. I'm going home. I'm going to be uh, um, working with some producers uh, for a PBS show. Uh, op- unfortunately, opening weekend, but uh, it's going to be on Rough Rough Grouse Habitat. Nice. So I'll, I'll be in cool. my, my home territory um, for that TV show.
0: Uh, again, so the majority of our audience are probably um, on the prairie, right, or even in the south. Maybe you have never seen Rough Grouse Habitat. Describe it for mm-hmm. us.
3: Well, it's actually. This is even a misconception itself amongst a lot of rough grouse hunters. A lot of r- rough grouse hunters think young forest because mm-hmm. um, that's where you're hunting during that, during that dispersal period where the, the the broods are finally breaking up and you're, you're shooting a lot of, seeing a lot of young birds dispersing. But rough grouse actually require pretty diverse forest habitat. Um, mainly, you know, in the Lake States, it's mostly, mostly aspen. But they're really looking for a diversity in age classes. They need young forest, but they need old forest as well. They're looking for that for a food source in the wintertime. They'll actually go up into mature aspens and feed off um, buds Mm -hmm. in the wintertime. During the nesting period, they'll actually need mature forest for nesting. So they actually have this this requirement for pretty diverse forest habitat, but typically speaking, you know, rough grouse society, one thing we've always drummed home about is the importance of young forest habitat. Because we are, um, throughout much of the eastern United States, losing our young forest habitat, which is vitally important for cover for, for rough grouse and a lot of other game and non-game species. So I, I want to say it's, it's diverse forest habitat with an emphasis on young forest habitat.
2: Yeah, it's that forest mosaic yeah, what you exactly. guys always talk about. Exactly.
0: So. Mika, um, describe, you don't have to tell us the spot. Don't put a pin dot on the map, but describe what your favorite rough grouse spot looks like.
2: Like a whole bunch of the rest of the northern lower peninsula. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um mix of stuff, a lot of low it's thick. Yeah. Like you were discussing earlier. Yeah. Folks not getting a shot and being like, oh, it's not open. Uh, <laughs> waiting for Well, of course it's not. That's yeah. where they live. It's not open. Um, but, yeah, it's this is a lot of Aspen mixed in with just cedars, stuff like that. It's, you know, classic northern Michigan uh, landscape, relatively flat. You know, we don't have quite as much hills where I grew up as they do out here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's –
0: And I'm, I'm thinking about the country I'm used to. Yeah. (laughs) And I think visually, you know, I drive up to my favorite spot and it's, it's on a dirt road with the fruity color, fruity pebble color. Maples as you're getting there, yeah. But then it, the forest changes. Yeah, right. It's, it's yellow, and, and it, you get more lo- yellow. Y- a yep, lot of yellows, which is the aspen. Yeah, yep.
2: get some oaks, birch, so some r- or birch, or birch, yeah. birch, birch, right? exactly yeah. birch. And, and yeah. my
0: favorite spot there's this little, uh, you know, from a pheasant and quail perspective, they think food plots, right? Or is there corn? Is there yeah. egg? And I do have a one of my favorite rough grouse spots. And, and orienting towards food is important. For grouse too, and you mentioned buds, but you can also early in the season think about berries or crab apples. Yeah. Dogwood. Yeah, dogwood. dogwood. And my favorite spot we call the berry patch. And it's just like in the middle of this forest, like randomly, there's like an apple orchard and berries surrounding yeah. Yeah. it. And you walk through it's like ten to fifteen year old aspens with some interspersed birch. And some conifers, right? Because they they gravitate towards those yeah. conifers yep. for winter cover, right? And w- then, where is spot at? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the spot? Yeah, and the, you gotta. Make I'm starting sure to salivate. Oh, here. Oh gosh, you <laughs> make, it's it's so epic! Like every single time, you gotta make sure your dogs go, don't get too far out. Yeah. And as you approach that berry patch, like, okay, here we go, <laughs> you know. And they're always there, and it's yeah. just so yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. And, yeah. and th-
3: that that again is where where that diverse forest habitat happens. But you know, to to um, maybe somebody who's not familiar with rough grouse hunting, or maybe just trying to get into it, if you find yourself a young forested stand where you have difficulty swinging your shotgun mm-hmm. around, that's just about right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's yeah. that that's really what we're talking about um, during that that grouse hunting. I career.
0: always t- liken it to if you can find silver dollar sized. That, that's the diameter, right? Silver dollar size aspen with some birch, some yeah. Christmas trees, yep. Yep. In mixed in between. Yep. If you can find a little soggy ground, you're gonna add wood woodcock to the mix. Yeah, exactly. yep. Yep. And then if you can find food mm-hmm. and w- whether yep. that's dogwoods, yep. crab apples, berry, then then you're you yeah. got the straight ticket.
1: You're gold. The other thing I like too, I love to be a component of my grouse covers is gonna be water, whether it's a stream, a crick, or a beaver swamp. Beaver swamp's one of my good ones. And one of the things that water does is number one, something something that I key in on and, and really it's it's the whole science behind timber cuts and aspen when you take out mature forests, you open the canopy, you let sunlight hit the forest floor. When the sunlight hits the forest floor, that's what draws up the young aspen. It's, what, it's also what draws up a lot of those foods, food sources that we're talking about is sunlight hitting the floor. So when you have a water source, whether it's a river or a beaver swamp, sunlight is getting in there and the entire rim of that beaver swamp or creek is going to be all edge cover and as grouse hunters we oftentimes talk about edge cover and we could get into that but that's that's just what that's what's happening there it's sunlight meeting the woods meeting the forest floor creating edge cover and grouse it's magnetic Mm. it pulls grouse in so i love a cover that you know i would love a, a beaver swamp a low beaver swamp with a little bit of slope that comes out of there if there was a timber cut right on the slope coming out of the beaver swamp and young aspen there and then surrounding that you've got maybe some mature aspen mixed in there with red i love i like seeing red and white pines mainly just for aesthetic i just love a towering red pine or a white pine yeah you got that stuff in there and boy if there was a little bit of dogwood in there I'd be in a happy place.
0: Uh, it sounds like you're just <laughs> describing a specific spot. Uh, perhaps. Maybe? Perhaps. <laughs>
1: I'm not going to tell you what state it's in. <laughs>
0: uh, here's another theory I have about grouse habitat, and this is just coming from a non biologist, John. So okay. correct me. It seems to me when snow hits the ground, like, it becomes increasingly difficult to find any birds. But the one place that I find them. You like find those Christmas tree size yeah. conifers, yeah. and it seems like they like to have their feet on open ground underneath those conifers, and invariably it's a great way for them to escape out the other side. You hear them, but yeah. you never see them well once the snow hits the ground well the
3: the reason being is that that conifer is acting as thermal cover mm-hmm. it basically it's it's acting like a blanket, keeping some some heat in or retaining some heat in until the grouse can get that that proper snow depth for snow roosting. Right. Um so that, that's what they're specifically seeking out there as well as cover. It's definitely a cover as well, but I, I I always like to find those those young aspen stands that have that that young conifer component in it as well. And like Nick said some some of those mature trees, this the aesthetics of it near body water. I mean but my my grouse hunting place, my my mecca that actually I'm going to on private lands opening season. In Lincoln County. In L- Lincoln County. <laughs> it, it's it's several different age classes of aspen that, that I've been managing for um, probably the past 15 years, breaking uh-huh. up the age classes, has that body water nearby, has that conifer component that I, I left behind in the timber harvest. So mm-hmm. it that, that's what I'm looking for as well. Yeah. But, yeah. but <laughs> see, one thing <laughs> I want to point out, though, is getting back to that insider trading. You know, this is that part where... Half the fun of rough grouse hunting is just scouting out these locations, yep. finding Ooh. these, you know, that beaver dam or that creek or mm-hmm. these different covers. Why why cheat? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Go, up, go out there and explore. If if your cover, if you are an avid grouse hunter and your cover has been working for you the past yeah. few years, go and find some new stuff. Explore. That That's half the fun. Yeah. Using these public lands.
2: Yeah, and exactly. I was just going to say that. Like, we're, you know, in Michigan, Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin, Minnesota, we're pretty – darn blessed as far as like what would be considered a more eastern area when it comes to public lands yeah there is you know michigan has eight million acres of public lands i think minnesota might be 10 minnesota is like 14 uh wisconsin is up there too it's like there's a ton of places to explore man and like every one of those you know you're in northern minnesota northern michigan northern wisconsin there's grouse all over like, those places you've, like, always gone to are great, right? Yeah. I love going to the same place occasionally over and over, right? But I'm, a, I'm one of those people, I like to see new things, mm-hmm. right? I always, like, be it deer hunting or grouse hunting or rabbit hunting. I always tell people, I really like seeing different trees. Like, it's, <laughs> it, like, yeah. you know, I'm a big fan of seeing different spots. And, yeah. like, there's so many places all over the place like take advantage of that yeah yeah
0: when you consider national forest yeah state forest exactly county land
2: yeah when WMA's. you roll everything in it's it's crazy tell me about gems gems so it's grouse enhancement management whatever system, system i think i think so yeah yeah and it, so it's specific to michigan It's specific to michigan so they're very highly like habitat managed areas specifically for grouse most of them are in the up i won't say where any of them are (laughs) you (laughs) can find find them them yeah you can find them (laughs) online exactly but they're they're like highly managed specifically for that and it's it's habitat right like they're i'll be honest they're good for just about everything but they're specifically managed for grouse to like have ideal habitats that mosaic of forest in those areas are super highly managed for that. And it's an awesome program. So you drove here uh, to Duluth. Yep. No, no. You, did you drive or fly? Yeah, I, you drove you, that's what yeah I, I
0: drove. Yeah, I drove here. Because you're fishing in the UP on the way back. So yep. Exactly. You covered a ton of ground on your way here. Yeah, exactly. And you do that for a living. Yep. What's your uh, Michigan grouse forecast?
2: Michigan grouse, grouse forecast. Uh, let's see here. So I usually base that on uh, how good. It sounded during turkey season. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> I've hunted everywhere from down by Detroit through the upper peninsula with turkeys for folks. And uh, heard a lot of drumming, not yeah. going to lie. And, uh, you know, talking to some other folks anecdotally, it should be pretty good. I know wood, woodcock way up yeah. from my understanding, everybody I talk to. so
0: It's interesting. Um, I believe if I have my figures right. Minnesota harvests the no- most rough grouse annually. Yeah. Michigan harvests the most woodcock. Wisconsin's number two for both.
1: Yeah. Okay. Is that right? As it's a, I'm, I can hear Ted Dick saying the thing about rough grouse. I can hear him in my yeah. head saying that. So, yeah, I know that.
2: No, in we in like uh, we like the mud bats. <laughs> I, okay, I I love Timberdoodle. <laughs> Michigan
1: yeah, Michigan great. also bans the most woodcock we too. Do. So that's our
2: thing.
0: Is yeah. that a function of being right below like Lake Superior and the lake, in it pulls Yeah, them?
2: exactly. I think so. We're it's a really big migration spot, yeah. so we get a lot of
1: lot of woodcocks, So.
0: Are woodcock the most single most underrated bird in the uplands? Yes, I would say so.
1: I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hesitate to say so, but I, I'm, I, I, I do hesitate because I haven't hunted everything, you know, and I, I don't <laughs> live everywhere. I live here, so sure. I have an appreciation for it. But I do think, you know what? I mean, to your point, Bob, I hear a lot of people, we've all heard this stuff, oh, they taste like yeah, crap, yeah. oh, yeah. you know, they eat <laughs> Which worms, and it's like, come on. No, yeah. They're, yeah. they are they are underappreciated. You can yeah, say that for a fact.
0: You can have a pretty healthy debate, and we're not going to go there, but we're, you know, the king of the uplands, right? Right, right, right. You can have a healthy debate, pheasant, bobwhite quail, rough grouse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also have a pretty healthy debate on most underrated or underappreciated, yeah. you know, whether that's the woodcock or scaled quail, yeah, yep. you know, sage grouse, Sharp-tailed grouse uh, sharpies, yeah. yep. uh, huns, yep. you know, it, the list goes on and on and yep. on. California quail, chucker. No, i like,
2: yeah, with woodcock, I really, you know, I like tromping around through swamps, so I'm a big fan of the woodcock. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, they're just a fascinating bird.
3: There's their whole, their whole biology is just, it's just very unique. Yeah. That that long bill, the large beady eyes, the ears, and they get great the nicknames too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Timberdoodle. Timberdoodle. timber doodle. We, we got to bring that back. What was, I'm you concerned. said, mud mud
0: bats, worm burglar, bog
1: sucker, <laughs> bog sucker. Yeah, <laughs> <What> which <laughs> else? I, I kind of fall in the the Steve Smith Michigan guy. Yep. He 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 wrote about how. He thinks they should only be called woodcock and every other every other term is disparaging to them. Yep. Which I'm like, I mean, Timberdoodle I kind of like. I think fondly yeah. of that. But, yeah. like, I'm hesitant to use everything else. Like, yeah, cause, exactly. Because <laughs> I, I love them. I appreciate them. And you know what else is cool about them is kind of the mystery factor. Like, if you don't have a dog, and unless you spend a lot of time in the woods kicking around, mm-hmm. it's a bird that you don't, most people don't see. Like, even the rough grouse. Especially in this area, general public is going to kind of know what it is because sure, you yeah. might hear them, see them on the roads, kind of thing. But Woodcock have that sort of that mysteriousness to them, where that you don't really see them, and they're they're a deep cover bird kind of thing.
2: Yeah.
0: You mentioned dogs, so that's the next um, next direction I want to go. What is uh, the best rough grouse bird dog?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> now we got fighting words. <laughs> oh
1: man, I saw that. I saw that question on the outline. Uh, I mean, do you want me to walk the company line here? Or? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah,
0: and, and just for uh, you have an English setter. I have right? an English setter, which yeah. is uh, by most folks' um, stereotype or perception that that would be the you know the quintessential rough grouse. Like most
1: commonly associated, yeah. you know, you just see them like the paintings in, you know, labs
0: and labs in in waterfalls, sure. English setters and rough grouse. Yeah, and and obviously every bird dog yeah. can can hunt rough
1: grouse, yep. but.
0: Um, yeah, English setter. Why do you like English setters?
1: You know, I've told the story how I wound up with one. I, when I was younger, I didn't. I mentioned this earlier. I didn't have bird dogs. They, we didn't have family bird dogs. We had house house dogs and whatever. So, but but I always knew I wanted a bird dog. And I always, when I pictured a bird dog, when I was a kid, and basically until I got one, I pictured a German short hair. Hmm. I pictured a German short hair with a blaze orange collar, and that was a bird dog, and that's what I was going to get. And, you know, I kind of grew up thinking that and always had an appreciation for German short hairs. And one of my really close buddies, Garrett, he's got short hairs. And those were um, his his first dog, uh, short hair, was one of the first ones that I really started hunting over uh, extensively. And,. For whatever reason, when the time came for me to get a dog, I I kind of opened it, things up. Like, right, I wanted to cast a wider net and explore a little bit. But I very quickly read an article that was written in the Star Tribune about a breeder of English setters located in Minnesota, Sandstone, Minnesota. It happened to be Jerry Coulter. He, mm. he runs Northwoods Bird Dogs. And I read this article. I started looking at jerry 's website and he has a lot of content on there and talks about how he breeds dogs for specifically for hunters for rough grouse and woodcock hunting and I kind of cut my search off at that point. You know, I called up Jerry and I, I called a few other folks, but i just I called him up and I went and visited the kennel, and I just loved everything he had to say, and it felt like i it was the right fit for me and that was five years ago in two thousand and fourteen. And I got my first bird dog, an English Setter, and now five years later, I mean, I I mean, I don't think I could be happier. Like, I've, it's, it's been a journey, and, and I really love it, and my next dog will be an English Setter. So I love it, and that's how, kind of how I wound Remind up with them.
0: Remind me your, your pup's name.
1: Hartley. Hartley. Which is a Duluth name. What's the character? There is a, well, I believe Hartley was a, a, it's kind of a Duluth historic family, but there's also a park in Duluth called Hartley Park. Gotcha. And it's about a 600-acre park, kind of right in the middle of the city uh that we lived nearby and okay. i knew we were going to live there and that kind of thing so actually funny enough we were, i was going to get a female out of this litter i was on the list for a female the litter came out there was only four pups there was one female and there was one person higher than me on the the list who was actually joe byers who's a board member of the rough grouse society and so he got the female his dog roxy who was a litter mate to my pup and so i ended up taking a male i was going to name the female maple and so we had that name picked out. I even had a little tag. I, I got a, a tag with a maple leaf on it, and, you know, I was all gung-ho for my first bird dog. And so we were getting the mail, and we kind of had to We had to switch gears and came up with the name Hartley, and I like it.
0: So is your next pup going to be Maple?
1: It's it's on the table. Yeah? It's on the table, but now I'm kind of thinking I kind of like the whole Duluth thing, so I'm thinking I might have to come up with a name a name that has some kind of tie or connection to Duluth. But my next dog will be a female if I have anything to say about it for no other reason than I have a male now. I'd like to have a female and just kind of see for myself. Yeah. Trashed. Yep. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Do you have a, I don't know if you have a dog.
1: Nobody's no, going to get one. I was
2: going to say like uh I'm on my way to getting a dog. Kids about to graduate high school. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I grew up uh in northern Michigan obviously. Yeah. Um definitely a partridge hunter. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, the grouse and woodcock were definitely opportunistic uh meals, right? Yeah. I, I ran beagles when I was a kid. Okay. So had a, I have a beagle now. He's super old, but I'm definitely, uh, with all the traveling through uh, the grouse and woodcock haven that is northern Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, uh, it's definitely going to be my travel buddy here yeah. soon. So, Do you know what
0: breed you're going to get?
2: Oh, I don't know. So... I really like wire hair, point and graffons. Oh yeah! Everybody likes those. They I say great. like I need a dog that matches my beard. <laughs> so. <laughs> so cool. We could equally have a beard, but uh, f- so right now somebody else's. Yeah, that's mm. the best uh, <laughs> bird dog. Who <There> <laughs> about you, Jeff? That, well, it's kind of like owning a boat.
3: Somebody else's is yeah, always yeah. the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm in a similar boat. I don't have uh, um, a dog currently. I'm working on it, however. Yeah. It, it looks like um, we. We were trying to get, a, my wife and I were trying to get a dog this summer, but we had some hiccups with it. But it's looking like um, um, this new litter took, and we're going to be the proud parents of a Hungarian Vizsla oh, nice. uh, over Christmas. Cool. So we're going to have ourselves a Christmas baby arriving, <laughs> um, which I'm <laughs> very much looking forward to. Because I've, I, again, I, I've been you know working on my professional career for about the past decade, um, put put things like hunting and angling on the back, back burner, so looking to get... Uh, diving right back into it. Uh growing up had labs, had springers, but uh um I got to hunt under one of my coworkers, uh, Vishlas this uh past year and I absolutely fell in love with the breed. Yeah. So uh
0: you have a name picked out?
3: I, we do. It was one of the, my my wife has already started to make dog toys out of the world <laughs> so, uh, she she's definitely uh looking forward to it uh uh, but Hazel, nice. Ooh, I like that name. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: very good. That's a good name. There's some some rough grouse around Hazel too. Oh there
3: yeah, is. That, that's a, a very important food source. <laughs> that's yeah. a good food source. Yeah.
0: Yes, there is. The
3: buds, catkins, <laughs> definitely. Our, uh,
0: before we get to lightning round, I want to offer each of you guys opportunity uh, for listeners to connect with connect with you if they have questions, yeah. and then um, also you know, mention your email address, mention the websites of your organizations, sure. uh, if you. Folks want to get involved, uh, become members. Uh, we'll start with Nick and Project Upland.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, Project Upland. If you're not familiar with us, the best place to go is projectupland.com. You're going to find basically everything, everything we do there, and whether it's going to it's films, articles. Podcast. It's kind of, that's that's the hub. That's where it all is. And I and I would I actually would like to say, you know, earlier we were talking about how the parallels that we have in our organizations. And, and there's a clear distinction in that Pheasants Forever, Rough Grouse Society, Pack Country Hunters and Anglers, and Minnesota Sharptail Grouse Society, those are all nonprofit companies. Those are conservation organizations, whereas Project Upland, you know, Northwoods Collective is a for-profit business. It's a marketing agency. But the way that we see ourselves kind of fitting into this mix is that, you know, as I told you, Bob, a couple of weeks ago. I mean, any chance that we get to partner with organizations like everybody here and and sort of amplify your voice. I mean, we see that as that's our opportunity, and that's our opportunity to play a part in the great work that the organizations that the three of you guys work for. So that's what we that's what we try to do. We also. We also try to just make really awesome upland hunting content. You know, that's that's our goal. We do films. We have the podcast. We write stuff. We want to educate people. We want to inform them. We want to inspire them. We want to motivate them. We want to recruit, reactivate, and retain all that stuff. Projectupland.com. If you want to email me, Larson at northwoodscollective.com.
0: Larson with an O or an e?
1: It's an O. Larson with an O. Nick, N-I-C-K dot Larson, L-A-R-S-O-N at com. And,
0: and one of the examples of that collaboration is coming up in uh, mid-September, I believe, with our buddy Hank Shaw. Yes,
1: sir. Yep, yep. The trailer's out. Uh, uh, the first film that we've done in partnership with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. It is a pheasant hunting film with federal ammunition and pf and qf there's some
0: quail uh, in it too
1: are there quail in it oh yeah okay yeah there's there's quail in it too i've seen it i've seen it a few times but yeah hank Hank shaw people don't know him i mean they probably do from listening to this podcast you've interviewed him i interviewed him on my podcast he's uh he's the upland chef i mean he's he's the wild game cook hunt gather cook it's it's a it's a really cool film i'm excited for people to see that
0: yeah hank is hank is awesome he's a member of pheasants forever he's a life member of quail forever He's written uh, "Hunt Gather Cook," "Duck uh, Duck Goose," "Buck Buck Moose," yep. <laughs> and "Pheasant Quail Cottontail," which every every pheasant quail cottontail generates a donation from Hank to our organization's habitat mission. He's a phenomenal guy. He's been on uh, the bird dog or the bird dog the <laughs> the wild game cooking stage yep. at yep. Pheasant Fest uh, every year since 2012, and just a terrific terrific film that's yeah. coming out we're honored to be a part of it with yeah. uh, project upland and, and hank and federal premium ammunition yeah. so that'll be out in september perfect yeah. fit and then as you mentioned uh, you've got a really quality podcast that you're doing probably w- one episode a week it's one
1: a week yeah yeah we try to stick to that
0: and um i've been on there you can look yep. back uh, yep. probably a year ago this time i was on yep. jared wickland
1: is. jared on. was an early guest yep he was one of the he was the low-hanging fruit that i said hey i gotta get i gotta get somebody from <laughs> PF on early and I went to high school with Jared like we talked about but yeah we're I just put out episode 74 I wow. think so yeah this September right now it's 2 year anniversary of the project Upland podcast is a lot of work. You do a it is job. yeah well oh, thank you i appreciate that yeah.
0: yeah well we're we're thrilled to be working um with Project upland yeah. with you and uh the Hank Shaw film coming up yeah uh bha backcountry hunters and anglers we've got a great rapport with you guys as well yeah exactly how do people get connected with you
2: so uh backcountry hunters and anglers uh if you don't know who we are we are the voice for our public lands waters and wildlife um to find out more go to backcountryhunters.org um you can find all sorts of different stuff there on uh the importance of our public lands how to fight and get involved to protect those and keep them from being sold off or denuded in other ways. Um, And beyond that, if you're really interested in getting a hold of me, reaching out, want to get involved, um, it's meekoff at backcountryhunters.org. One F.
0: And uh, our partners on the forest side of things, the Rough Grouse yeah. Society. Yeah. How, to, how do folks get involved? Yeah, Rough,
3: Rough Grouse Society, one of the nation's leading advocates for forest uh, habitat and the wildlife populations they support. Uh, if you want to learn more about us, uh, roughgrousesociety.org. Um, you can contact me personally through email, uh, johns at roughgrousesociety.org, and it's J O N
1: S. <laughs> Good thing they don't have to spell your last name. Uh, they're, they're very <laughs>
3: lucky. I'm, I'm lucky I don't have to spell that when I type my email. Um, but they can uh, go to our website and learn more about what we do for, for forest habitat and, and rough grouse.
0: Awesome. I'm proud to be a subscriber slash member of a, all all organizations yeah, around the exactly. table, yeah. including the American Woodcock Society, yep. too. I have yep. a dual membership with you guys. But uh, I encourage all of our listeners, obviously, um, hopefully your your listeners and uh members of pheasants forever and quail forever but uh get involved with all the groups they they have uh, a very important niche to play in perpetuating the public lands the wild places and the hunting traditions that we all care so deeply about and on top of that just great people too All right moving on to the lightning round of lightning round. And feel free to insert your own questions yeah. but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna um, start with I touched on this a little bit but I want to know the name of your favorite spot now I'm not looking for you know what forest or put, I'm not looking for the pin dots on the map but you know I mentioned my my favorite spot we call the berry patch yeah. and anybody that's ever hunted with me and listening to this podcast knows exactly where the berry patch is and they're smiling <laughs> <laughs> nick what's what's your name of <laughs> your spot
1: this is this is gonna be i mean i i've gotten really bad about this i think i actually wrote an article way back when on the north Woodser blog about naming grouse covers because it used to be a used to be a big thing and mm-hmm. a lot of grouse hunters talk about this they name their favorite spots and i'm sure that's not unique to grouse hunting but in recent years, my parents bought a cabin in Wisconsin in 2016, and, like, just my grouse hunting, I've, I've really expanded. So, like, I have a lot of places that I've hunted one or two times, but I don't have that connection with them mm. where I have that name yet, right? So the, the names that come to mind are, are some of the spots that I used to hunt when I was in high school and college, and when I would hunt kind of the same spots over and over. One of them was, it's kind of stupid, but it's the loop. And I remember the first time I went and hunted the loop is, I was literally walking a trail and I walked this big loop and I think I flushed, 15 or 16 grouse and no dog, you know. So like for for a dogless grouse hunter, that's a pretty good uh, pretty good loop of a walk and I wasn't out there all day either. So. I don't have any other fun names that are coming to mind, though, so I'm going to have to go with the loop. That's pretty lame, Jason. I hope you can Beats me. <laughs> no, like,
2: I'm not someone to, like I said, I like uh, seeing new trees, uh-huh. and I'm not generally someone who names, like, a place. Other than maybe the road that's there, and, <laughs> and using that definitely gives locations yeah. away. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah uh, I'm bad. Maybe
0: I'm an anomaly here. Yeah. I'm look- I got, No, it's a thing. I got Timberdoodle Alley. Oof! Wow. I got the Horseshoe.
1: That's I, a good one.
0: Yeah. Those what are about great. you, John?
1: I,
3: I I do have some nicknames for my spots. I do. Um, Eagle Point, um, n- not a very well grouse. Named area, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's named Eagle Point for for other reasons, uh, unrelated to eagles. But uh, uh, and Hemlock Haven, hmm. so my, my two favorite spots.
0: Hmm. That's cool, Hemlock Haven. That's that that really one
3: cool. that one's an old uh, that's an old family property. It's actually our, our deer camp, hmm. but it has a lot of uh, young aspen forest for for
0: rough grouse. Cool. All right, next question. What's your go to? grouse shotgun and load Ooh, we'll start with start with
1: me all right so this is also something that i haven't paid a ton of attention to in years past i kind of would just shoot whatever usually seven and a half shot Mm -hmm. i think if i'm saying if i'm if we're going lightning round and what's your grouse load i mean an ounce of seven and a half shot it's pretty hard to go wrong with that i'll stick with that 12 or 20 well that's that's been i i i have shot a 12 i've shot basically every gauge except 28 but i do own a 28 now and so that might see some woods time yeah. this year the last couple of years i've been hunting almost exclusively with a 16 gauge so that's where the ounce of seven and a half comes into play and i do like the 16 but i kind of feel like if you're in that if you're in that 6 20 16 12 28 even because mm-hmm. you can shoot an ounce load in there i mean you're in, you're in the money really so
0: what do you choke your shit
1: It. Uh, it's a, the la- again the last couple of years I've shot a fixed choke, um, 16 gauge which is improved cylinder light modified and yeah. that's a pretty good pretty good set of grouse chokes. I think generally speaking the more open the better. I mean yeah. uh, Burton Spiller wrote about he would shoot nine shot or he he wrote about shooting nine shot with a cylinder choke and just p- bumping that pellet count way up there in wide open choke. The ranges that you shoot in the grouse woods are typically the the conversation that a about chokes that a a pair of grouse hunters are going to have versus a pheasant Pheasant hunter hunter, it's gonna be a much different conversation for sure yeah
0: what about you jason
2: uh seven and a half um and then i the gun i use is because uh it's a winchester 1200 Mm. um reason i use that gun is uh it's fixed modified but my grandpa i received that gift when my grandfather passed away Mm. and it's i I just use it because I, uh, yeah, it's, there's not a lot of other things I use that shotgun for, so it's just really nice to have that out in the woods for something. Uh, gun is a tool, <laughs> and uh, they should be used, and rather than just making uh, something in the safe, I like using it. Right so on. right on.
0: What about you, John?
3: Uh, you know, growing up in uh, northern Wisconsin, usually anything that's rolling around the back of the pickup truck bed <laughs> is when <I> was, uh, <laughs> shooting. Um, my, my favorite gun to actually use uh, use grouse hunting is actually the first uh, first gun I ever bought. Uh, was a $50 um, junior model 20-gauge. Uh, listeners won't know this, but I'm relatively short. I'm a, I'm a tiny guy, and, and using a, a junior, junior model shotgun in the thick brush of, for rough grouse hunting, it's an easy gun to swing around mm-hmm. in a hurry. And that's what you need for, for rough grouse hunting. Okay. So I'm a, I'm a bit uh, I'm a bit redneck when it comes to <laughs> what type of gun and load that I use.
0: Well, I, I think I mentioned this on the uh, Federal Ammunition um, podcast. I I'm a big fan of the Pheasants Forever Wing Shock yep. load 20 gauge seven and a And again, you can shoot them at rough grouse, and you're generating a donation to from Federal to Pheasants Forever for pheasant and quail habitat um, so I proudly do that as often as I can and I'm I go super wide uh, on my chokes I I shoot it over under with skeet chokes in both yeah. I had used a sil open cylinder uh, for the first shot and I dialed that back to skeet and skeet so yeah. that's I, I agree with you Nick like the most open you can get yeah. particularly you know early in the season when there's a lot of leaves yeah. I mean you know, you're lucky if you're shooting beyond 20 yards, so you might as well open it up as quickly as possible. Yep.
1: Yeah, actually, this year I have. Uh, I've got a 20-gauge with interchangeable chokes, and I will probably set that up with skeet one and improved cylinder, So the two I have. And I have a couple boxes of one-ounce, seven-and-a-half shot, copper-plated PF wing shot. Wing shock. I'm going to shoot that. They work very <laughs> well on rough grouse and timber doodle. Yeah, we'll find out. <laughs> um
0: the name of the best rough grouse dog you've ever hunted behind the name, just the name.
1: Um,
0: a shout out to a buddy, a buddy out. There.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of give a shout out to a a, a local. He, I would consider him a mentor. He's an older guy than than me, and he's kind of taken me under his wing a little bit with grouse dogs and shooting. Mm. He's he's a he's a great shot. I shot sporting clays with him yesterday. He's got a young dog, a young English setter that I got to hunt over with last year. And Scott, my buddy, speaks very highly of him, and he's ran bird dogs for forty years probably, and he speaks very highly of this dog. And what I saw that dog do in one day of hunting, it's it's probably uh, making a leap to call it the best grouse dog I've ever hunted over, but a fine, fine young bird dog, and I saw him do some pretty pretty awesome stuff. And so his name is Axel.
0: Axel. Yeah, I know an
2: Axel too. <laughs> the yeah. Axel I know is a Brittany.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jason,
2: I would. Uh relatively recently you know this fellow and his i don't know if you've ever been with his dog but definitely daily so okay yeah yeah
0: i think i know exactly who you're talking about he lives in my hometown exactly
2: yeah
3: (laughs) i'd say uh probably a toss-up between shadow and rosie shadow and rosie i like
1: that
0: mine is a no-brainer named luna with my buddy uh zeman
1: I've seen her on YouTube. If you ever get a chance
0: to hunt with Luna, <laughs> yeah, you can look up John Zeman yep. on YouTube. Yep. That dog is out of this world, um, just incredible. I, I just love love bird dogs and telling stories. So, yeah, thanks for sharing yours. All right, final question: Your favorite rough grouse or timberdoodle recipe? We'll start. We'll go reverse. reverse. John, you got a favorite uh, way to eat one of their one of your favorite species? I'd
3: say um, with grouse, really no favorite way. Anyway, I, th- I think really to cook it, pan fried, broiled. Um, I, I I think I know a lot of people who can screw up a very good, perfectly good piece of venison. <laughs> I would say that. <laughs> so I think there's, I think there's many ways to screw screw up any piece of wild game. Um, one of the reasons I'm a fan of timberdoodle, um, I'm going to use that now, timberdoodle, because it's it is a bit unique. A lot of people say that it tastes like worms or, or or bu- bugs or whatever, but I think it just offers
2: some unique flavors. Um, quite frankly, yeah. So, uh, Jason, for either uh, salt, pepper, pepper butter, and a hot ass frying pan. Yeah, yeah, super simple.
1: Yeah, mine's going to be very similar. It's it starts with a cast iron pan. There's some butter in there. Onions first. Birds will follow it, and then there'll be some mixture of salt, pepper, maybe a little bit of garlic seasoning yeah. or something, but that's about it. So you
0: guys went super easy on me, so I'm gonna go a little bit more complicated. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
1: Blueberry
0: rough grouse pesto. I've heard you talk about that. That sounds, that sounds really good. It does and, and, you know? You can look it up uh, on Outdoor News, Outdoor News in my name. I wrote this uh, recipe for them a couple years ago. But I can't take credit for it. My wife, Meredith, invent, invented it. So y- you think about tomatoes, right? When you, when you cook tomatoes, they have mm-hmm. that burst of juice. Well, that's the equivalent with blueberries. Yep. You use a pesto sauce, grill up the rough grouse a little bit, put it on the pizza. It is incredible blueberry rough grouse pesto pizza outdoor news website it, i guarantee you'll love it it'll surprise the heck out of you and if you want to do the pheasant comparison it's pheasant cherry pizza mm. and that is also really
2: really different and really really good as a michigander i can get on with right, the cherry. right? <laughs> <laughs> there we go traverse yeah. city baby sounds yeah. great all yeah.
0: right we're, we're at the closing thoughts portion of the on the wing podcast any any final thoughts on the rough grouse season ahead things you're looking forward to or shout outs you want to give before we shut her down and and go to the pint night at Clyde Ironworks
3: I would say uh you know this season maybe try something different if you are an avid rough grouse hunter get out try try to find some new spots try something different Um, you know, and if you are an avid rough grouse hunter, consider taking somebody out who's never gone rough grouse hunting before, get them introduced to, to, to wing shooting.
0: Great point.
2: Yeah. Um, beings, we have a bunch of different orgs here. I would say, uh, definitely. I don't know a lot of people that aren't members of multiples, but don't just be a member of one organization. Uh, you care about a lot of different things, not just one thing. Look at a bunch of them. Be a member of a bunch of them, and you will uh, definitely know what's going on in a lot of different arenas around the country and around your area and yeah. meet really cool people. Yeah,
1: I second that. Yep, mine, mine would be kind of similar. I was going to kind of turn the tables and say from a Project Upland perspective, I mean, pay attention to the folks on this podcast, PF quill forever rough grouse society backcountry hunters and anglers the men and women working for these organizations are doing great things so go and support them and uh involving one of those partners i'm not going to say anything more than this but i'm just going to say that the folks in attendance tonight might get a little sneak peek of uh a big project that we have coming up next year with one of those partners so that's all i'm going to say <laughs> stay tuned <laughs> keep your eyes on projectdufflin.com you'll see more
0: very cool. Well, well my, my words of wisdom, if I can call them that for, for listeners, uh, I grew up in rough grouse country, but I became a better rough grouse hunter when I started hunting pheasants and started hunting quail and started hunting sharptails. So if you're dyed-in-the-wool quail hunter, dyed-in-the-wool pheasant hunter, take a trip north and experience rough grouse hunting it will make you a better pheasant hunter you'll learn more about your dog how to read different types of habitat and you know flat out it's just awesome to be on an adventure and trying something new i will warn you make sure you bring your gps when you go into the woods (laughs) because if you are used to being able to see your truck and you go grouse hunting you won't see your truck very <laughs> long, and yeah. you get turned around really quick. But uh, it is a fun pursuit to uh, mix it up a little bit as, uh, as you explore the pheasant lands of the prairies, the hollows of the quail country, and the woods of the rough grouse and the timber doodle. I want to thank my guests, John from the Rough Grouse Society, Jason Mikoff from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and Nick Larson from Project Upland for joining us on this episode of On the Wing podcast with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. We are going to turn off the machine and join pint night at Clyde Ironworks in Duluth, Minnesota for a very fun night and uh, a film preview with Project Upland. You'll be able to see it by the time, well, probably by the time this hits the air. Soon after. Thanks, folks, for listening, and uh, we'll see you down the trail.